0: You're listening to the Mangroves to Mountains podcast, where we talk all things outdoors. Hunting, fishing, paddling, camping, adventure travel, and more. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, tonight's guest is John Kolb from Suffering Outdoors YouTube channel. John self-films his bow hunting, fly fishing, and flintlock outings in Pennsylvania. John and I had a really fun conversation. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Thanks for listening. God, I hate that woman's voice. <laughs> John Kolb, how are you?
1: I'm doing good. Jim, how are you?
0: Doing great. Yeah, I uh, had dinner and took a nap, so I'm a little bit groggy. But I'm I'm waking up now. So I'm a teacher, so I take a lot of naps these these days after work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can uh, I can see that. I um, got home from work and I took my son out and we sat out in our field uh, with my recurve and just watch an apple tree and nothing came out but it was fun to get out and have him enjoy the outdoors a little bit so
0: that's awesome how old is he he will be 11 here in december oh okay great yeah that's awesome so um you're hunting with the recurve this year huh
1: yeah i I picked it up last year and i was absolutely terrible with it um i mean if i hit a target at 20 yards one out of three shots i was doing good so I hunted a little bit with it last year, didn't harvest anything and missed a few deer. And then this year, um, come July and August, I really try to focus on shooting it and honing in my skills a little bit. feel like I'm a, shooting a lot better, actually getting a decent group at 15 yards or so. Um, so I think this might be a year that I can harvest my first deer with one. Awesome. What, what bow are you shooting? It's a Samick sage recurve yes. so it's kind of just like a entry level um takedown recurve that yeah. a lot of guys are using
0: yeah they're excellent bows for the money that's hard to beat really they're uh i don't hear a bad thing about them really i know a lot yeah, of guys that started out with those or just continue to hunt with them
1: yeah it's a great entry level and um definitely got me into the sport and if i get better at it it might upgrade to something better at some point
0: yeah yeah I've been hunting with a recurve a long time I hunted with a compound for probably 17 18 years and then I got real bad target panic with that and then switched the recurve the and longbow and that the target panic went away but now it's coming back so, so I hunted a little bit with the compound for pigs this year I did one deer hunt in North Carolina with the compound but didn't have an opportunity uh but now I'm back to the recurve I'm hunting this weekend with uh my friend Ryan so um He's a primitive hunter, so I feel weird taking a compound out. So I've been shooting the recurve every day, like twice a day. I'm shooting pretty well with it. So I'm good. Now, are you
1: guys targeting whitetail? Are you going after your your wild hogs?
0: It's it's a deer hunt, but you can take pigs too as well. So um, it's in like north central Florida, near Inverness. So uh, yeah, should be good. We always see deer. He usually kills something. That guy's a killer. Uh, I I'm just happy to see. <laughs> see deer and just get out you know get out of miami um just get out of the city and just get into the woods so it's always a fun time yeah so i i noticed are you are you filming your hunts now i mean the uh i know you've filmed a lot of the fishing outings but are are you filming the the hunts with the recurve yet
1: yeah i got some footage last year but just just of me missing
0: so yeah (laughs) that's all part of it though uh,
1: yeah but i have some good just stock footage of Practicing shooting the bow and um, some scenic-based tree stand video. So if I shoot one this year, I should be able to put together a video pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, my plan is to both harvest a doe with my recurve and get it on on video. Awesome.
0: Yep. Now, were you hunting? You were hunting from the ground tonight. Before dark? tonight, I was, but I, I normally
1: hunt out of a tree stand.
0: Yeah. Yep. I just ordered a stand. It's uh. Oh boy. What is it? It's a hawk, something, a hawk. They should just call it the hawk heavy. It's so, mm. it's so <laughs> heavy. I bought it with the idea that I would pack it in. Cause the spot that Ryan and I hunt is like a mile, mile and a half. And okay, I just kind of need it. I don't have to have a stand there, but it's very thick kind of scrubby oaks and very thick yeah. bedding cover where I hunt. So um, if you're off the ground, you can see deer a lot better. So I, I ordered that, but it is so heavy that it, I'm going to return it. And I ordered a, um, a what is it XOP vanish I think it is
1: yeah um, I actually got one of those this year okay. too one of the hang ons yep um, have not hunted out of it yet but I have lone wolf sticks and then the XOP vanish and I'm looking forward uh, to get so that's neat that we both bought the same
0: <laughs> the same stand yeah yeah I, and I've got uh, I ordered some muddy um, I think they're called stagger steps uh, okay. They're pretty good. They're solid on the tree. I've used them already for a hog hunt. Um, they're not too heavy. I do have some uh lone wolf sticks where they are, I have no idea. <laughs> they're somewhere in <laughs> one of my storage units, maybe in North Carolina, maybe in Miami, I don't know. But uh I ordered these rather than just try to tear everything up or drive to North Carolina to find them. So yeah. getting up and I don't hunt real high anyway, don't really need to in this spot. So if I can get 10, 12 feet, I should be good should be able to you know yeah exactly find a site yeah I've got some friends that hunt like at 20 feet and I was like oh no no thank you I'm not doing it <laughs> yeah. I don't know about some, you but- some,
1: yeah sometimes depending on so we're in north central Pennsylvania and most of what we're hunting is big woods with a lot of hardwoods so we have a lot of telephone pole type trees mm-hmm. so if I'm going into a single tree that I don't have a lot of cover around me. I will go as high as 20 to 25 feet. And I'm not afraid of heights, but I start getting nervous <laughs> at that level and you move a little slower. Um, always recommend having a safety harness regardless of how high you are, but. Um, oh yeah. And, and then I've, I've had, I, one of the bucks I killed a few years ago, I was kind of in that setup where I was about 20 foot off the ground. And he came right down by me and had no idea that I was there. So you just kind of get above that level to where they're, they're used to seeing hunters and it, you can get out of their sight line, which is, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's definitely something special. It, it, just the, the vantage point of seeing the woods from up high too is, is really nice, but uh, I just don't, I feel like it affects my shooting um, with a gun. I'm not, I'd go to 20 feet, but you know, like, yeah. you know with a Black powder or rifle or something, but um, yeah, with a bow and arrow, just I just I'm already kind of a little nervous at heights, and then have to draw and like let go of the tree. Yeah, just, you know, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I'd feel better in a, a, a harness. I've talked to a couple of guys that use uh, saddles, so um, I may be heading there eventually. But have you tried a saddle yet?
1: Uh, yes, I have not hunted out of one. I had a buddy who let me just kind of get up in it and try it out. Um, at some point, maybe same kind of same route as you, uh, but not ready to, to jump ship yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It looks a little precarious up there. I'm sure it's actually probably safer, but it just doesn't look as safe. You know, if you're kind of just, yeah, I don't know. I got mixed feelings about them, but, um, yeah, we kind of jumped right into the hunting. Um, so can you tell me, um, to your North central PA, uh what's what's the nearest town are you in town or are you outside Yeah, so
1: we're we're close to Williamsport Pennsylvania if you're not from Pennsylvania you may not know where that is we always say it's the home of the Little League World Series um oh, but yeah. we're kind of we're kind of above Harrisburg and so if you picture people usually know Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are one side of the state we're kind of like right middle at a triangle in the north
0: central section of the state gotcha and a lot, of, a lot of state land there, big big Yeah, more. we
1: have, yeah, so, so Pennsylvania, we have two primary sources of public ground. One is just our state forest, um, which is managed by the DCNR. And then we have the our game commission uh, buys or has purchased what they refer to as state game lands.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: difference between the state game lands and the state forest is the state game lands kind of sole purpose is for hunters. It's purchased with uh, sales of licenses. Um, and that's managed by the game commission specifically for hunting. I didn't know that. Okay. Interesting. Yep. So we hunt, a lot of the areas we hunt have both state forest and state game lands. Um, but probably 75% of what I do is on state game lands.
0: I see. And do you hunt some private property too?
1: a little bit we have about 70 acres on the property I live on it's owned by my father-in-law great and this is more of our dough meat factory where if we want medicine in the freezer that's what this property is used for and then our serious buck hunting is all done on public ground
0: awesome very cool and then the um the fishing I'm very envious of your fishing situation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are envious of me fishing the Everglades, I think, but um, but I love, you know, I grew up trout fishing in Western New York and Michigan. So I love those small streams and brook trout and wild fish, but uh, any kind of trout fishing is great. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Pennsylvania, and I didn't even realize that um, I've, I've lived in Pennsylvania my entire life. I trout fished when I was a young kid up through uh, high school years, kind of got out a bit. My father-in-law got me into fly fishing after college. So I've been in fly fishing for about six years now. And I didn't realize even when I started fly fishing, how kind of, um, how much of a hidden gem Pennsylvania is for fly fishing. So we have a lot of streams that receive stocking from the state. So we have fish that are kind of artificially stocked in our streams but we have a ton of streams that have natural and wild reproduction. And whether it be a wild brown trout or native brook trout, uh, not much in the form of wild rainbows. There are a few streams, but um, Pennsylvania is kind of a, a great state to get into those areas uh, either remotely or popular streams that have that wild population of fish. Which to me is so neat to catch or fool a fish that was born in the stream they're a little bit more savvy to your your fly presentation a little bit more skittish so you have to be careful approaching the stream not to scare them so it's way more rewarding to me to catch a 10 inch wild brown trout versus a 13 or 14 inch stocked rainbow fish by by the state
0: yeah absolutely yeah i fish um in North Carolina near Boone, you know, on the Blue Ridge Parkway, Mm -hmm. that area. And, um, there's Southern strain brook trout there. Um, there's also some streams that have wild rainbows and browns, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd rather catch a, you know, 10 inch brook trout than a 60 pound tarpon. I mean, I just, I love them. (laughs) I love the places that they live, you know, they're just incredible. You know, they don't live in ugly places. So, um, yeah exactly and and there's very much like hunting you know uh you gotta approach the stream like as if you're hunting the fish and Mm and then make a good presentation or you ruin it you know blow out the the pool or the run or whatever so i love that uh kind of stalking aspect of it and they're just and they're just jewels you know um they're just beautiful fish regardless of size you know so that's why I like one of the things i noticed right away away about your videos with the um the brook trout fishing like the, the way you film them and the slow-mo and the mm-hmm. <laughs> spots are just like it's, this is impossible fish can't actually look like this but I know they can because <laughs> I've caught them you know but uh, yeah, yeah that's just incredible there's no way to describe how beautiful they are to me you know that I can put into words
1: yeah and I've been surprised the last couple of years that you can get some really good sized brook trout and we used to have Um, It wasn't uncommon to catch an 18-inch brook trout in some of our bigger streams, like the Loyal Sock Creek or the Lycoming Creek before they uh, harvested a lot of the timber on our mountains and it was just a better overall habitat for the fish. But some of these streams, if we have a couple good years in a row where the water levels stay high and there's not a drought over the summer, you can catch a 11, 12, 13-inch brook trout and that is a a big brook trout pound for pound they fight way more than like a brook or sorry a brown or or even a rainbow trout Um, and they are extremely aggressive if you have a fly that you're a dry fly that you're presenting along a pool and a brook trout sees it a lot of these mountain streams there's not a lot of food so if they see a big meal plop on the stream they just ferociously attack it and will explode out of the water and splash and then you set the hook and they're fighting and splashing. So it's a lot of fun. And um, the water is so clear a lot of times that you'll see them coming. So it's like that anticipation. You see the fish come enough to take your fly and it's almost like trying to control yourself. Like don't set the hook too quick, let it take <laughs> it. Then it explodes, hit your fly. Then you set the hook and, and bring it in. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun chasing the brook trout.
0: Yeah, I, I heard, I read somewhere that uh, you know the in England where, fly fishing well maybe it didn't originate but it was popularized that they would say when they'd see a fish rise and eat their fly they'd say god bless the king and then they'd set them up <laughs> <laughs> as you, otherwise yeah. you just pull it right out of their mouth you know so uh yeah i like that one it's just so hard it's it's that way with a lot of fish too with i know with um getting back to tarpon um a lot of guys will instead of strip setting they'll lift their rod like they're setting a, like a yeah. trout set especially if they're from up north and they come down the fish for tarpon and uh I tell guys just you know just close your eyes and just keep stripping you know it's hard to do though you want to see that strike, but but you get a better hookup if you if you don't if you don't anticipate the strike especially those fish with the hard mouth like saltwater fish where you really do have to kind of bury the hook you know so uh, yeah similar but different and what what type rods what what rod weight are you using for that kind of or just in general for trout fishing there in pa
1: Yeah, I I started out with a eight and a half foot, six weight. It was a fiberglass rod. Um, My dad had bought it for me to kind of help me get into the sport. Um, Then I bought a 10 foot four weight Orvis Clearwater rod. And that was more so to get into nymphing. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: when I started fly fishing, I was purely a dry fly fisher. And if there wasn't a hatch coming off or they weren't taking something off the surface, I didn't even try to nymph. And then I the uh, Euro nymphing or tight line nymphing really was attractive to me. So I bought the 10 foot four weight or a clear water rod to do that. And then this year I got a Douglas Sky G. Uh, that is a nine foot five weight. And now that's become more of my a pure dry fly rod or if I want to chuck a dry dropper rig or if I want to use some type of indicator like a wool indicator Mm -hmm. that's better usually than the the 10 foot so now the decision when I go out is do I want a nymph and use my 10 foot rod or do I think I'm going to get into some dry fly action and use use the nine foot five weight Douglas Sky G Uh, but those are the rods I'm using. And I, I love both dry fly fishing and nymphing. Um, and I can't say that I like one over the other, but it's, uh, two great tactics to use and, and both are a lot of fun.
0: And, and, you know, the nymphing keeps you in the game if there's not a hatch or, you know, um, I always feel like, you know, if I'm not seeing fish or bugs coming off the water, I mean, not to say a trout won't eat a dry, but, um, Mm -hmm you know you can you can still fish you're still you're still fishing if you're nymphing or i throw streamers a lot but um yeah it's it's a good way to stay in the game and keep keep the fly wet and hook some fish for sure yeah i'd be i guess it'd be hard i'd be hard pressed to pick one over the other they're both great in their own way like you said
1: yeah if, if i'm one, fishing it yep go, go ahead. ahead
0: no go ahead i was gonna
1: go I was gonna say, if I'm fishing a stream that has a lot of broken pocket water and, and riffles and runs, I'm, I'm probably gonna start nymphing just because it can be way more effective. And, and then most of our hatches are gonna occur closer to evening. Mm-hmm. So you can switch over at that point if you start to see some fish rising um, or you see a, a spinner fall starting to, to occur, um, mm-hmm. switch over to dry fly fishing.
0: Very cool. And then what, uh, what, what tippet are you using? Like 6X, 5X? Hopefully not 7X.
1: No, (laughs) most of the time, um, if I'm dry fly fishing, I'm using 5X. Yeah. If, if you need to go to a smaller fly, then I might size down to six or 7X. Um, most of the time when I'm nymphing, I'm at either probably 4X. Yeah. Um, or I might rig up with just 5X anyway. Um, but nymphing is not as vital to have a, a smaller tippet size.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. How do you like the Douglas rods? I haven't used those before, like versus the Orvis.
1: Yeah, the, it has a really soft tip. So it's, um, there there's some areas that it's, it struggles with. One of the areas I've found is if it's windy, and you're trying to chuck a bigger fly. Like there's one day I was out and it was a pretty good wind and I had a hopper on and I was struggling to cast the hopper just because it has that softer tip and it's more for a delicate presentation. It's it's not a I think it's called considered a medium fast action,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: not a fast action. So it doesn't have the power of like the Orvis traditional fast um fast action rod. But it's it's a really nice rod, um, really good for delicate presentations, more in the 30 to 20-foot range is where it seems to shine and, and do a good job.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of jumped right into it, but you, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into the outdoors? This is a big segue. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So bad>. 6X <laughs> to, typic to, uh Yeah. Yeah, the yeah back, back to the,
1: uh, the oh, introduction. That's for <laughs> me. <laughs> so I, I was, uh, grew up on a farm. My dad loved archery hunting, and we had 50 or so acres. Um, and I remember as a kid being so excited during archery season when he would shoot a deer and we'd go out and help him try to find it, whether it be a doe or a buck. Um, so a lot of my love for the outdoors came first from my father And then what's interesting is as I've gotten older, he's kind of lost interest in it um, and has done less fishing and and less hunting. Um, But my father-in-law is a very avid outdoorsman and he's kind of helped me transition more into, I would say, refined. (laughs) So, So when I, with my dad growing up, like we would hunt, but it wasn't, um, we didn't do a lot of hunting and it wasn't like, like we'd go out during rifle season, but it wasn't a major event. And then now in my life it's kind of transitioned to white tails 365 or fly fishing, you know, anytime that the water conditions are right. Um, so I've definitely transitioned into that. And I also, as far as my YouTube channel, um, I love video. I love watching videos on YouTube and I love creating video. So to me, it was um, an outlet to show my creativity. And really it started as I was creating the videos just for myself. I wanted to shoot video, edit it, put it together, do something creative, and then be able to enjoy it later. And at the time I had lost laptop, lost some footage, my laptop crashed. So I was looking for somewhere to store my videos without losing them. So I started uploading my videos to YouTube with no intention of anybody watching them, just this is a place that I can upload videos and save them. And then people started watching them and commenting on them. And I'm like, oh, people like this. So then that's why I was like, why don't I take the next step and actually start a channel? And that's when I started Suffering Outdoors. And that was in 2015. And then I started making mostly archery videos and I was, I, was, I was a bad hunter back then. I've learned, I've learned a lot in, in the five or six years. And then even like fly fishing, it's funny because if you, if you have a YouTube channel, people automatically assume that you should be a professional or you should be like this super awesome hunter who doesn't make mistakes. And then they'll see you miss a deer and, and you post it and guys will be like, I can't believe you missed a deer. You're terrible. You shouldn't be filming. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or you don't know you're doing fly fishing you don't know how to cast it's like I literally this is like my first second year fly fishing and I'm filming it um just trying to have fun and and make these memories and share them and be able to relive them but I feel like that skill level has increased um since I started and, and I have become a better hunter and a better fly fisher but some of my first videos I felt like I was pretty poor when I look back on them and <laughs>
0: but there's the mistake I made it's two different things you know what I mean it's it's like there's the art of filmmaking and then there's the you know the there's fishing and hunting and they are different things and then to coordinate both into something that's good is is not easy it's very difficult I mean if you want to yeah. make your hunting more challenging start filming your hunts you know I always say that and uh, but yours are always artfully tastefully done your videos on um, suffering outdoors and uh, that's what struck me right away the like um the the music the the music the way it's introduced in the videos and i still can't get that right like where where to introduce the music um plus uh i think you must be using a camera that you can um we can get in a little bit of that but the slow-mo is so good like it's so crisp and and so well done and um my wife and I were watching the videos or some of your fly fishing videos earlier and like, Oh my gosh, look at the, you can see the fly line and going through the air in slow motion. Like <laughs> I need to do something like that. Like, yeah. Thanks. Just, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. It really, really well done. And do you, do you, um, do you mostly sell film or do you, I mean, I know you've got a friend um, I can't think of his name. Sorry. I've actually looked at it. Yeah. List. So
1: uh,
0: Dave. So, Roth yeah. Rothman.
1: Yeah, uh, Dave is just a gentleman I met at a Trout Unlimited um, meeting and he had actually commented on one of my fly fishing videos and said that he recognized the film. And I thought that he recognized me from the, or he recognized the stream. And I thought he recognized me from the Trout Unlimited meeting. So the next Trout Unlimited meeting, I said, so you saw my video? He's like, that's your video? I was like, yeah. So it was kind of funny how I met him. But most of what I do, actually all of what I do is self-filmed, um, which which definitely takes the difficulty level up a little bit. And, and I'm sure you know this and you've experienced it, but you now have to carry a tripod around. You have to set the tripod up, figure out where am I going to stand, where are the fish going to be, frame it, hit record, then fish, catch a fish, go turn the camera off, move it. So It is a lot of work and it is difficult to get good footage when you self-film. I have filmed Dave and a couple other guys that I fly fished with. And it's a lot easier when you're with somebody else to film them than it is to film yourself. Oh yeah. Um, I I don't think hunting's as bad and and you could probably attest to this. You can put, especially from a tree stand, you'll have a camera arm. You can attach it to the tree. It's still difficult, but I, I think, fly fishing and filming yourself with a tripod and a camera is, is more challenging than filming a hunt.
0: I agree hundred with a camera arm. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you want it to be interesting, if you just set it up and film yourself from one shot, one viewpoint, the whole time yeah. is one thing, but if you want to make it interesting for the viewer, you definitely have to change camera angles and, and um, you know uh, just, yeah, it's, it's definitely more challenging. I've found to do the fishing, and, and I do a lot of uh, fishing from a kayak in Everglades, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other ball game. Like, you know, do I, is it yeah. worth it to me to throw my my camera into the my cannon into the you know Everglades, or is it you know is it really worth this? Like, I had a, one of my recent trips. I had a, a tarpon jump right in the kayak. It wasn't a big one. It was like maybe five okay. pounds, but it almost knocked a tripod out of the out of the kayak. So <laughs> there's some of that. Trout probably aren't going to do that, but although I did have a, I filmed a steelhead trip in the spring and my, I, the camera f- tipped over, it was windy and the tripod tipped over and that camera was destroyed. Just sunk it in the, in the river. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I, I, no, I
1: did watch one of your steelhead videos and it seemed like you guys were doing pretty good. Yeah. Steelhead. Um, yeah the- I've the- never yeah. fished for steelhead. I've done a little bit of salmon fishing, actually heading up next week to Pulaski, New York. Nice. I'm going to do some some uh salmon some king salmon fishing on the salmon river there should um, be some looking rat but yeah.
0: yeah there should be steelhead around i got a friend that guides up there full-time and um in western new york and he he takes guys to the salmon river and he said they're already getting you know steelies up there the salmon have been in for a while but yeah you should do well cool yeah mm-hmm. good you're gonna film that nice. i assume right I might try to
1: do yeah i might We'll, uh, we'll see how that works. And the last time I went, the fishing was really slow and I didn't, I didn't bring camera equipment because it was my first time and I was worried that it would be slow and I didn't want to lug everything around. Um, but I'm going to bring it. And if the fishing is decent, we'll probably try to do some type of video.
0: Nice. And what kind of, what camera do you use? I know you use a GoPro, but what's your, um, your base camera? Like your, your, the one on the tripod. Can't think of the term
1: yeah so when i'm most of my hunting content i'm using the sony ax53 it's a video camera um, she can shoot in 4k and then this year and last year i got a it's a panasonic gh5 it's a mirrorless camera um so and i i can kind of show you i have it sitting here but it's a little heavier than my video camera. It's a little harder to use as far as a lot of manual settings you gotta dial in, but both cameras can shoot in 4K. Um, And then the slow motion video that you're talking about, I'm shooting that in 120 frames per second. Okay. So when you see slow motion video, you're essentially stretching out the frames to slow the video down. If you don't have a lot of frames, when you stretch those out, it's gonna get jumpy and there's gonna be gaps between your movement. So if you're shooting, most guys shoot either 24 frames per second or 30 frames per second. So if you go up to 120 frames per second, you're getting 120 pictures that you can stretch out five times as slow And then still get that same quality or that same um, amount of frames for your movement so you can really get that buttery smooth slow motion slowing that 120 frame down when you edit your video versus starting with the 30 frames and trying to slow that down because you just don't have as much information and that's when you get that jumpy video
0: gotcha yeah it's very smooth yeah Um, so uh which came first the filming or the fishing and hunting did i mean i said su- well i don't know i don't know what you do for a living but i mean are you a photographer do you or is just something you learned as as you went starting to film your hunts and fishing outings yeah
1: so i uh the just kind of a hobby for the photography and okay. the videography um i'm actually a financial advisor so that's my my main what i make my living off of um just gotcha. managing and, and investing clients' funds, um, and then this is just kind of the creative outlet that I use to be able to get away and, and get my mind off of work. Mm-hmm.
0: Those are two very different pursuits. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah there, the, I, may, I may need to a financial advisor just to upgrade my equipment. <laughs> get this. Yeah. Get that. Yeah. I, I'm I've been doing fine with just the Canon Vixia, like a cheaper, you know, low end kind of mid mid to low end uh, video camera. But it shoots pretty well. It shoots pretty good video, and uh, I don't have to worry about ruining it, dropping it in the creek or out of a tree. So
1: yeah, Canon has very good cameras. They've never really put a, put a priority on the uh, super slow motion shooting. So they've never really focused on getting the 120 frame or even 180 frame, or or you can even go now 240 frames. Some cameras will will do that much, but you start to lose quality as far as your lighting and and you can get grainy footage if if the lighting's not good. But Canon's always more focused on just an overall quality product versus trying to get that slow motion where Sony has ventured more into um, the higher frame rates as well as Panasonic. So if you want slow motion, or if somebody's looking to get a camera, just make sure it can shoot 120 frames per second, and then check out YouTube's. Uh, see, just do a search of that camera and in slow motion shots, and see what it looks like to see if it's something you'd be willing to,
0: or something that you want to replicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm t- I've been taking notes as soon as you start talking can <laughs> <out> here. <laughs> when you see me looking away, I'm I'm writing. Yeah. That um, the other things uh, back to the hunting that I've been very intrigued with is uh, is flintlock hunting, and you've filmed some of your mm-hmm. your hunting trips, and those are some of my favorites. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that, like what the gear and just uh, some of your experiences?
1: Yeah. So, if, if anybody's listening that doesn't know what a flintlock is, it's basically a, an antique style gun that you use a you put the gunpowder in, you put a patch in your ball down, um, no bullet, and then you have flint that hits your frizzing pan or, or your your ignition, and then it creates a spark in your frizzing pan, which then ignites a the black powder, sending the round ball off. So it's a primitive weapon that is difficult to get off. Uh, it's difficult for the gun to go off if the conditions are not good, um, which in Pennsylvania, we can have some really high humidity days, which is not good for <laughs> igniting your, your gun. Um, but that's, that's again, something my father-in-law got me into. My my dad had a flint lock. Um, he had never killed a deer with it. He gave it to me. And I believe the first year I hunted with it, I ended up killing a, a deer with it, which was pretty cool. Um, growing up, I would hunt with open sights, like a BB gun, whether it be squirrels or pigeons mm-hmm. or just things around the farm and I got really good at shooting with open sights so that translated well into shooting a flint lock um, and if you, you had mentioned um, having target panic so that's like the ideal or the <laughs> the ultimate target panic is when you shoot a flint lock because that gun's going to flash in your face and then it's going to go off so you have to pull the trigger hear the click feel the flash and then the barrel ignites. So it's when you aim, press the trigger, you have to be so focused on what you're doing in that animal to not flinch and move the gun off the target by the time the gun goes off. So
0: it's just a neat, fun challenge um, to shoot a deer with a flintlock. And, and, and Pennsylvania, you can only use flintlock, right? During, is there a sp- specific season for that?
1: Or? Yeah, so, so that's kind of the other thing that stinks about I mean, it doesn't stink, but it's the unfortunate thing about Pennsylvania is our flintlock season comes in the day after Christmas, which is right after rifle season, right after archery season. So the the deer are on high alert. They're extremely pressured by that that time of year. Um, The conditions can be brutal and cold. So it's the fun thing is there's nobody else or generally not a lot of other guys in the woods. But you're hunting a different animal by the end of the season
0: because fewer of all the fewer pressure. of them, fewer of them too. Yeah,
1: fewer fewer deer, uh, more pressure deer, and generally in, in, not optimal weather. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I like it. It's in the snow, you know, because I grew up in Buffalo, so I, I love yeah. snow. You know, I really miss it living down here. But um, it just makes for great video too, I think, with snow. You know, flakes, puffy flakes coming down. Yeah, uh, it just seems like. I mean, although it's not ideal for, uh, the the conditions are not ideal for the gun to go off, but it seems to fit the whole, um, uh, motif of, for lack of a better word of flintlock hunting. Like it should be, it should be tough. Like, that's how I feel about steelhead fishing. It should be miserable. It should be cold. Your hands should be freezing. The ice (laughs) guides should be icing up. It shouldn't be bluebird weather. You know what I mean? So it seems to fit flintlock and snow and, and big woods and Pennsylvania just seems to go together.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny too, because we'll talk about almost losing the will to harvest something. So you go in your stand and there's times when it's um, 10 degrees out and 10, 50 mile per hour wind gusts and the sun's going down and it's getting colder. You haven't moved for a couple hours. Your hands are freezing. And then you start to think, even if a deer came out right now, I don't want to shoot it because I don't feel like gutting it out and dragging it out and taking care of it i'm so cold so it's like what am i even doing here
0: <laughs> <laughs> you question your motives <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then yeah. you throw filming on top of it yeah <laughs> yeah that's funny yep um yeah i we can use uh percussion guns here i mean can you use percussion in in the rifle season or does it have, i mean if you wanted yeah
1: to- during during the normal firearm season uh, you can use most, most any firearm, whether okay. it be, uh, you're not allowed to use automatics or, or semi-automatics yet for deer hunting, um, but you can use a general rifle. You could use a flintlock if you want a percussion. Mm-hmm. We have an inline hunting season just for antlerless deer or doe, and that comes in usually the third week of October for one full week. And this year, you can hunt for either doe or black bear with an inline, which is pretty cool. So a couple of my family members are really looking forward to that. And they're going to try to shoot a black bear this year with
0: with their inline during that special season. And do you see a lot of bears there in that area? I assume you do.
1: Yeah, we we do. Um, we're, We're in Lycoming County, which... A lot of the years during the black bear season, we have the most harvested bears in the state. So we have a good population of black bears. They're difficult to hunt just because normally around that time, they're, they're kind of slowing down and um, they're in the thickest, nastiest, most remote areas um, where you're hunting. So unless you're going in eight foot tall mountain laurel and, and climbing in some some nasty thickets you're you're generally not going to get the bears out there kind of slowing down and preparing for hibernation and they move a lot at night so guys will actually do do a lot of bear drives especially during the bear rifle season where did you'll think, get 10 or 15 you
0: drives did you say drives it was it broke yeah up a Oh, yeah.
1: So they'll, a lot of guys will do bear drives where you push out a, a thicket and have guys waiting on the other side with guns. And if you push anything out, you, you shoot them. I have never shot a black bear. I had a really close encounter last year during archery season. I had one about 40 yards and he scented me and was looking and um, kind of circled around and, and went away. Um, but that was that was a really neat experience and pretty close. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. One
0: of the spots I was going to hunt in North Carolina with uh, my, my buddy Dalton, he said, "Uh, well, you don't want to hunt that spot. There's, yeah, there's acorns dropping, but there's a bear that's just kind of taken over that spot. And cause he set up ground blind for me cause he knows. Okay. Not good with, uh, so he had a ground blind. He was sending me pictures of it late summer and it's like, oh my gosh, this is money. They're going to, there's a white oak drop and it's going to be and then the bear took over that spot and he was like, "Ah, oh, you don't want to go in there. I was like, I do want to go in there. I don't want to, sh- I can't, it's not bear season yet, but I just want to get yeah. footage of a bear, you know, from the ground. Like, I don't care if I shoot a deer. I mean, I want to shoot one. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but like, I was just willing to go in there and, sh- you know, just to get some, hopefully get some footage of this bear. But yeah, we hunted a different property anyway. So just, cool. okay. I've seen a few fi- uh, fishing, but, uh, I don't know that I've ever, se- no, I think I've seen one in the Everglades, um, well, bow hunting, but it was way out there. I got a little video of it, but, uh, yeah, we don't, there's bears here, but it's nothing like up there. Not like in PA it was in New York, yeah. there's a lot of bears.
1: Yeah. They'll rip our trail cameras off the tree and yeah. demolish them. And, um, we haven't had many issues on, on our property, but they'll get into our dumpsters and garbage. And if you have any bird feeders out, they'll rip them down and eat the bird seed. So they can be, uh, they can
0: be a problem. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. I used to do some hog hunts, hu- hog hunting up in Georgia, South, Southeast Georgia. And there's a lot of bears there in the swamp. And one weekend we went up to check the feeders and we had six feeders and five of them had been destroyed by bears. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess we're not hog hunting after all. No. <laughs> <Just> destroyed. <laughs> yeah, destroyed. It's almost like they're malicious too. They don't just break them. They like, they attack them. They uh, chew them up, you know, trail cameras, like you said, yeah, um, they're destructive. They're, they're destructive. Yeah, um, I had a friend that tried to bear-proof a feeder, like the feeder head. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had it for for uh, spinning corn for hogs, and he he welded spikes sticking out, nails and spikes and barbed wire, and it just <laughs> they all just took it right off the feeder head. It took the feeder head right off, destroyed it. Chewed on it for a while. You know, they don't care. Just they're just uh, destructive animals. Yeah, they're cool, but they're just destructive. Any plans to hunt uh, out-of-state? Or fishing trips? trips? Yes. I know you're going to New York for for salmon.
1: Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, we're only allowed to kill one buck. So the last couple of years, I had said, if I kill a buck, I'm going to go to New York. We're only about an hour away from the border. Mm -hmm. And there's some, some decent public ground within a couple mile or a couple hour drive of us. So if I were to harvest a buck, which hopefully I do earlier in archery season and has some vacation time left, um, I'm going to plan on this year heading up to New York and hunting some public lair for doing some archery hunting in New York. Awesome. Yeah. A few, few years ago, I hunted Ohio on some public with my family. Um, that was fun. But that since then, I, I've only done one out-of-state trip, and that was, was Ohio.
0: hmm How about fishing? Have you fished out West for trout yet? No, I haven't.
1: I definitely want to. I'm envious whenever I watch a video of a guy fishing out West and it's the scenery is beautiful. The fish are incredible. So that's definitely on the bucket list to do
0: one day. Yeah, for sure. It's the Mecca kind of. Yeah. Have you (laughs) been out out West? I've only um, not specifically for a fishing trip, but I have gone out to Colorado a couple of times to um, visit family. And I, of course, bring a fly rod. Um, my aunt lives in Boulder, so Boulder Creek goes right through town. So uh, University of Colorado's there, and students could literally, if they wanted to, um, the cool ones would just go out and under lunch break or be yeah. classes and they could literally walk from campus to the stream and try trout fish right there and on campus. But um, yeah, I haven't fished like Montana or Wyoming yet, but someday for sure I'd like to. Cool. you ought to you ought to come down to the Everglades sometime, get you on some tarpon. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Nook, <laughs> arpin, whatever. Yeah. Peacock bass. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a unique and great fishery down here. Yeah. Do you do any, uh, fishing in around the ocean or in the
1: ocean or,
0: I you know, you really, uh, I have, um, my, my best fishing friend, um, he's getting a boat. It's, uh, he, we, we fish for bonefish for many years in the Bay, this okay. game Bay Um, but then he's, he actually built the boats himself, but then he got a, a job where he just didn't have time to maintain them. So, but he's got a boat on order from Hell's Bay. Um, so when he gets that, but they have a, they have a year long wait for, for this boat. So <laughs> a year from now we'll be, uh, out on Biscayne yeah. Bay chasing bonefish and permit and tarpon. But, uh, yeah, you really need a boat down here for, um, the yeah. saltwater fishing. I mean, you could do it in a kayak, but it's really, so much of it is sight fishing. and You sit so low in a kayak, you really need to be able to stand up, you know, pulling platform or yeah. you know, casting platform so you can see the fish. So if you just wanted to go out and catch fish, you know, food fish, you know, bait fish, um, mm-hmm. fish with bait, you could do it from any kind of boat, but okay. I really like the, the fly fishing and the sight fishing aspect of it. Yeah. That's what it's all about. I noticed in some of your videos, you're not wearing sunglasses. Do you do that, do that a lot? Or is it just in a couple of them I've seen?
1: uh i've yeah i'm 50 50 on on wearing sunglasses and i know i probably should wear polarized sunglasses and i've just kind of gotten comfortable not wearing them (laughs) yeah so I, i i know that is you could be disadvantaged in some cases um i feel like i can see my dry fly or my fly better when i'm not wearing sunglasses especially if i'm fishing on the surface um, especially when it starts getting lower light and it's kind of in that golden hour when the fish are rising, um, nymphing I probably should wear more, especially on those bright sunny days, but yeah, um, interesting observation, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I notice like the same thing. If I'm tra- having trouble seeing a dry fly in the water, I typically will take my glasses off and it's like, oh yeah, there it is. So yeah. it makes sense. I, I can identify with that. Um, I wanted to talk about um, a couple of your videos, the hunting videos, the, um, I don't know what the term is. It's not a, this is from one of your Flint videos. It's not a, a powder horn or maybe it is you were, you were filling the frizz with a really cool looking, looked like a deer antler, um, like a custom. Yeah. It's a powder flask. Powder flask. And
1: so my, my father-in-law makes those just with a wood Dremel. He finds shed antlers off of white-tailed deer. And then he'll get the antler and do little carvings in them. Um, So he actually, and then he hollows the antler out, drills it out, and then puts in uh, the mechanical pieces to get the powder out. And he made that for me for Christmas one year. Um, And I, I had told him, I'm like, a lot of guys comment on that we should do a video and you can show how you make them. Yeah. He's like, oh, nobody wants to watch that. He's like, it's, it's easy. I'm like, it's not easy. It's <laughs> not at all. That's hilarious. Yeah. So he thinks it's no big deal. Oh, it takes me 10 minutes to do it. It's no big deal. I'm like, well, a lot of other guys probably don't know how to make it. And it would be cool for them to, to watch you make it. And then they could try it.
0: And I, I'm an, an artist and I don't know. I have no idea how he made that. But okay. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him we need to do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really cool. It's very ornate, you know, just the carvings. And uh, is that called scrimshaw, I think, or something like that? I don't know. Where you yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. But really he, cool.
1: um, for my brother-in-law, he carved a snake on it. Like he actually did like a snake around the brow tine of wow. the, the antler. So it's it's pretty cool.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And then do you want to talk? <laughs> I was going to save this for last, but um, <laughs> one of your one of your videos... I think it's um, it's also a flintlock hunting one where I think you had a, literally had a flash in a pan, like the, the charge didn't go off. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about that? That was really cool. Yeah. So that
1: was kind of what I was referring to earlier about being a bad hunter when, when you first start <laughs> <laughs> and um, taking a video, doing a video of yourself. And again, I, I don't like when guys filter out when they make mistakes and that happens a lot in this industry because it's so easy. You miss a deer, oh, I'm just not going to show it. Or you make a mistake, you spook deer. Um, I've tried to try to be real in my videos and document because it's part of your story. It's part of your season. If you miss a deer, that's part of what happens. And that's what it, what it is to hunt. So I set up in a tree stand. It's the very last night of the Pennsylvania season. I had a terrible archery season, did not kill a buck. And my wife was out of town. My two kids were home. Um, I'm like, all right, guys, I'm going out for the last hour, stay inside, put a movie on. I'm hunting right by my, my stand. I had never seen a buck in the late season during flintlock or, or a late archery season because they're just hard. They're so pressured and they're hard to find um, unless you have planted corn or something, and, and we don't do that. So I'm in my stand and I see these bucks coming down and it's like within 40, 45 yards of my tree stand. And it was real humid that day and foggy. It was, there was snow on the ground, it warmed up to like 45, 50 degrees. So the snow was melting and there's just a lot of humidity in the air. And I put my gun on the steer, I shoot, my gun flashes, doesn't go off. I pull back, shoot again, doesn't go off, it goes running off. Um, And so just totally goof that up. I'm devastated. I can't believe I had a buck come by. I shoot, miss him. And then later in the video, a bunch of doe then come down later. And at this point I was messing with my gun. I was trying to adjust it. I think I made it worse in the field instead of better. And then it didn't go off again for the third or fourth time. Um, But the video is interesting in that it's done very well. And, And I know you had a video too that had a little bit of controversy with your hog hunting. I did very well, but a lot of guys are pretty critical as far as me not knowing how to use the flint lock, not using how to, to use the equipment. And I actually had a guy say that you should quit hunting because you're (laughs) so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that, that's real. And when you post videos on YouTube, um, and then I, the next year I honed in my skills a little bit, uh, got a little bit better with my flint lock and did harvest two dough with my flintlock in the late season In that video i felt like i did did a little bit better um, or better representation of who i am as a hunter versus
0: the mess ups and the mishaps with yeah <laughs>
1: with the gun
0: yeah i had one guy comment out of my video uh um did you notice you didn't hit full draw you know on that shot <laughs> <And that's> like, <laughs> did you my reply was did you notice the pig is dead like who cares like the arrow went where it was supposed to go the pig ran 50 yards and fell over dead like yeah you hit that one really far back like okay um he's in my cooler he's in my freezer now (laughs) give me a break but what they don't realize especially the really negative comments is it actually i don't know if it still does but it, it, it used to really boost you up in the algorithm you know the more negative comments you have it would make it more visible i don't know if it's still that way or not but no
1: youtube changed some things because i there was a pennsylvania video that wasn't very good a guy was hunting and he didn't have a safety harness and he was way up in the tree so he had like hundreds upon hundreds of comments like wear a safety harness and he was fighting with the people and Um, But it just generated so many comments and so much engagement that YouTube thought that it was a good video. So it was one of the top results with this various search term. Um, But since then, YouTube's kind of switched, where it focuses more on how long somebody watches your video. Mm -hmm. So if you have a 10 minute video, and somebody watches three minutes of it and clicks away and goes somewhere else, that's telling YouTube, oh, they didn't like your video, they didn't watch it the whole way through to where it can help you if you have a video that um, generates a lot of discussion or comments, think about what you do when you watch a video when you're done or halfway through, you scroll down and start reading the comments. So if you have a lot of engagement and a lot of questions on a topic or comments, that's gonna keep somebody on your video longer which then makes YouTube think that people like your videos. So you may see where if you get a lot of negative comments on hog hunting, a lot of antis or a lot of animal rights people, somebody might just out of entertainment go through and read everybody's comments. And then they stay on your, your
0: video a long time. And and it helps. This is still playing. The video is still playing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's genius. I'm going to have to encourage my friends to. (laughs) (laughs) Or that, or just every three minutes have like, you know, a shot of Miami beach, like panning down the beach with girls walking in the sand or something. And I go back to the hunt.
1: No, I I told my wife, I'm not sure. I'm sure you've seen them where, um, a very attractive girl will just have a picture of herself, like her in a, in a bikini, like from behind, like fishing. Oh yeah. We'll get like millions of views. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to try that one time. I'm going to get a bikini,
0: get a picture (laughs) of myself (laughs) fishing in a bikini and then post it as clickbait and see if it works. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, Mark Harrison. I don't know if you follow him from Omnivores, Homestead, no. and Quivers. I'll send you a link to his page. He's hilarious. He'll he'll do like stuff like that. Weird, you know, just funny. You know, himself and a whatever. Like like he'll take his shirt and make it like a bikini top, and then okay. like drawing yeah. his, like goofy. Really, he's really <laughs> he's, he's off the wall. Funny guy. But uh, yeah, I could see him doing that
1: you have to give him the idea
0: yeah yeah i will yeah um oh the other one um i just saw it today but i'd seen it in the past the um the the guy that was dropping loaves in the woods near your stand yeah so that unless you don't want to talk about that no
1: that's fine The, the interesting things you see while while hunting public ground in uh pennsylvania so i crossed a creek set up and there is there's scrapes and rubs everywhere. I was so excited. And this is at like 7, 730. And I look to my, I look behind me and about six yards away, I see something white flapping. And I thought that it was a deer tail. I'm like, what is that? And then as I like realized what it was, this dude was like squashed, squashed over, wiping himself oh. with the toilet paper. And I saw the toilet paper flapping. flapping. And then I I was like I was worried that he saw me and was going to be embarrassed. I didn't get on film. I didn't think it was right to film it. I wouldn't want somebody filming me if No. <laughs> I wanted I was going to ask you that. Yeah. We we we've, we've all pooped in the woods at least if you've hunted long enough. Oh yeah. But, but he ended up walking by me and I thought he totally ruined my hunt, but I stayed another couple hours and a buck ended up coming down and, and I killed a buck that same morning in that same spot. Um, thankfully before it reached his his poop pile yeah uh, But yeah that, uh, stream. yeah that was uh that was interesting <laughs> classic
0: <laughs> so um you want to talk about your contact like how do people follow you um suffering outdoors is a youtube channel are you yeah are you absolutely
1: yeah so if you So I, um, most of the content I post is going to be on YouTube. So Suffering Outdoors is the name of the YouTube channel. And then I also have an Instagram account that I'll post pictures and videos once in a while. Um, Also Facebook. And, And then sometimes if I go out and I don't have enough content to put together a video I feel is worthy of posting on YouTube, I might do just a short 30 or 45 second video on Instagram and, and Facebook.
0: And, and is that so, is that under John Cole or is that under Suffering Outdoors? So if you
1: search Suffering Outdoors, my name is tied to the account, John Cole, but if you search Suffering Outdoors, it should come up on uh, Instagram.
0: Have you, um, final question, did you, unless I think of something else, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, is there is there a hunt in your past that you wish you could have gotten on film? A hunt or fishing outing, you know, big fish or or just uh, you know, something that- Yeah, good
1: question. So when I was 15 years old, now this is our family farm. We had sold our family farm and um, we moved off of it, but the people we sold it to let us come back for many years and still hunt it. So my dad went down with my brother-in-law to set stands up before rifle season started and they kicked out a monster buck Um, walking down one of the logging roads. And my dad was like, oh, this looks like a good spot to set a stand. So my brother-in-law who was with him had never killed a buck. And he's like, well, we'll let you hunt this stand. So he hunted it all morning until lunchtime, didn't see a thing. And then in the afternoon, we asked my brother-in-law, well, do you want to hunt that stand again? And he's like, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm like, really? Okay, I'll hunt it. So I go and sit in this stand and the last half hour of light, this almost 140 inch buck uh, eight point comes out. And I shot him with a rifle at about 50 yards. And he was the first buck I killed. And to this point, he's still the biggest buck (laughs) that I've killed. But that would have been just just a neat video as far as my first buck, as well as a story of my my brother-in-law giving up (laughs) his hunting stand to me and then harvesting you know, a real
0: trophy for Pennsylvania at the yeah, time. That's a great buck anywhere. And, yeah. and was, he, uh, was he upset with you or was he okay with it? No, he
1: was, he was cool with it because it was, it was my first buck too. Okay. Um, but we, te- we teased him. That was an ongoing family joke of, hey, Seth, you should have stayed in your stand.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome
0: anything else you want to cover, John? That was, a th- I love that story. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you having me on, and it was nice talking to you. I know we've um, kind of followed each other's content, and we've had a couple c- communications over the past, so you're, uh, you're a good friend and a, a neat person to follow along with as well, and
0: thank you. i um, appreciate to maybe, maybe I gotta ha- check in with you later in the season. Yeah, and, absolutely. and uh, see how the deer season goes. I, I meant for this to be more of a fishing one, but man, it's, it's deer season. <laughs> yeah, it is deer season. We got to talk about deer hunting. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll have you on in the spring too, and we'll talk fishing. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so, man. Thanks so much, John. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Have a good Take night. Care. You too. Yep. We'll Bye.